The first reading is from Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. The second reading is from Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, well, it's great that you're able to join us tonight as we continue to dig into our series on the Gospel of Mark. Uh, this passage in particular is one I'm sure a lot of you have heard before. Uh, its imagery is pretty memorable. Uh, the events that happen, though, are profound and world-changing for everyone who is involved and everyone who would read it. Uh, we've been thinking about who Jesus is, what type of king is he, and what does it mean for him to be king? Mark has showed us last week that it means that he has authority over the spiritual realm, authority over sickness and authority over disease in the casting out of demons and the healing of the sick. We also saw in the healing of the leper that his work reunites the outcast people uh, with their people and allows them to come into worship of their God again. Some truly wonderful stuff. And now we will continue uh, with seeing Jesus' character further developed by Mark. But let's start by praying together. Father, we thank you so much uh, that your word uh, brings us truth about you, that it brings us truth about the world and about our lives. And we pray now that as we consider what you have to say to us in the Gospel of Mark, that you would help us to see our greatest need in the forgiveness of our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So things that we need. 
Uh, I, I don't know about you, but there are a few things in my life that I like to think that I need, that I'm regularly reminded uh, that I do not. I have a silly one for you, though, as you get to know me a bit more each week. Uh, I like to think of myself as a fairly disciplined person. I carry out most of my life with a fairly high level of discipline. I like to think that is until there is a two-liter bottle of lemonade in the fridge. Uh, lemonade, that is my vice. It is my need. If lemonade is in the house, if it's in my vicinity, if there's cans at someone's birthday party, I need it. I need it now. And there's no way of stopping me. Uh, my colleague Ed back you know, at Euston Church in England, uh, he used to intentionally bring lemonade to dinner parties just because he wanted to witness me over the night consume uh, a whole two litre bottle. Can't have it in my fridge. If it's in my fridge, it's gone. 48 hours would be generous for how long it can be in there. There are things, right, where we, we want them so much that they feel like a need to us. Uh, when you talk about your needs, when you think about them in day-to-day -day life, they can seem, uh, I t think we tend to think of fairly surface level things. Usually, what do I need right now at this moment? But what is your greatest need? What do you think you need more than anything else? What do you think that other people need more than anything else? Uh, today, our narrative is challenging us on this exact question by first leading us to an assumption in the story that will then be undermined. And so we're going to practice observing what the text is doing. How does the text drive us towards conclusions and then lead us through a process of understanding for ourselves? Uh, each week uh, as we go through this series, I'll start introducing more and more things uh, about how we read the Bible and, and how we read the Bible well as a way of training us all. You see, often a temptation that we have when reading passages, especially ones that we're familiar with, is that we'll often import our knowledge of other parts of the Bible straight into it uh, and then really talk about those things instead of reading the passage closely. See, what I want us to always do first is to ask, in this case, what is Mark saying? Uh, this is something that's often referred to as the author's intent or purpose. What is written here? And how does that connect to what Mark's been saying so far? And then once we've done that, we can ponder what it means in light of the rest of the Bible. But that order is really important, otherwise you might miss something because you've kind of already got off in your head uh, on something that this reminds you of, say from Luke or Matthew or Romans or something. What is the intent of Mark in his writing first, and then how is that colored by our other knowledge? Uh, so let's jump into it now. Uh, because it's so important to me that we are reading the words of the Bible out of the Bible, that you're reading along to make sure I'm not leading you up a path. Uh, please look at the passage in front of you when I refer to it. I don't have slides today so that we can have a good crack at doing that. Verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Uh, Jesus is back in the town where he cast out the demons in the previous chapter. Word has spread that he is back and there's a problem. So many people have come to see him, to be healed by him, to hear him teach that there is simply not enough room. It's the free waffles problem that I talked about last week, right? I mean, if these people know that Jesus not only teaches with an authority unseen before, 
but is also able to cure their illnesses, then everyone in the town's going to be there, right? Now imagine standing in line. I don't know if you've ever stood in a line that was so big you thought, I may never actually get to the end of it. Uh, any chance, did anyone in here manage to get Taylor Swift tickets? Justin got Taylor Swift tickets? We can talk about that later. It was a line, right, thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people, to the point where some people actually joined lines for different cities and were just like, I'm just going to fly to Melbourne so that I can get to this concert. But most people uh, that I spoke to found that they never got to the front of the line. And their overall feeling that they described was hopeless, right? I sat on my computer all day. Hours and hours of Australian economic work time was lost uh, as people attempted to make it to the front of the line. Well, we have some guys experiencing that today. Look at verse 3 with me. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by the four of them. But these guys have a problem. They have their paralyzed friend with them. We hear later carrying him on a mat. Now, I don't think it's hard to figure out what they're hoping for, right? One of those horrible conditions that someone can suffer from. Don't get me wrong. A lot of paralyzed people live more full lives than a lot of us do. But it's an awful thing to experience. I just can't imagine it myself. If there is a chance that this Jesus guy can help their friend, then they're going to take it. The tension builds in the narrative. The men come with hope, but the crowd is in the way. So they get creative. Verse 4. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mats the man was lying on. Somehow, they get through the crowd to the point that they could climb onto the roof. Now, this isn't a small feat. Even four men carrying a limp human is pretty hard. They then dig through. It's not tiled, so they can do that. Now, imagine being in the room. This is a picture the narrative's painting. Imagine being in the room. Imagine the owner of the house as the hole begins to open in the roof. The desperation of the men, it overrules any social awareness that they might have. This man needs healing to them more than anything. They lower the man into the room before Jesus. And here we have an opportunity for Jesus to show his power to those gathered, literally on a platter for him, right? Someone who's paralyzed has been lowered in front of him. Is he going to do the impossible? Is this man going to walk again? Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Feel like an anticlimax? Mark has built tension to make it feel exactly like this, to take us on a journey of expectation of what we think is going to happen to this man based on everything that's happened in Mark so far and then undermine it, right? Mark's a really clever writer. We also see Jesus' response to a particular sense of faith in him, right? Particular actions and postures of people. He sees their faith and he responds. There seems to be something significant in the Gospel of Mark about humility and self-sacrifice and we'll see this happen more and more. But it's worth noting at this point that he responds to the faith of the men. And what is that faith? Well, in the text, it's their selfless act and trust in what Jesus can do. 
Maybe the men looking down at their friend felt a bit disappointed at this point with Jesus' response. Oh, sorry, jumping ahead. It's not exactly what they were aiming for from this moment, I think, right? They think this man's greatest need is his physical problem. But is this this man's greatest need? Remember, in Mark, he will tell us something, right? He tells us something, and then he shows it. And that, Jesus' concern, Jesus' message, his focus is not on the acts that occur themselves, but on what they say about him helping us to understand why the disciples in chapter 1 would drop their nets and go with him, to help us to understand the call to turn and follow Jesus and what that looks like. Now, in the response that we see to Jesus, uh, we we get a question that answers itself. Uh, I don't know if you ever experience questions that answer themselves, maybe accusations or things that come your way. Uh, This weekend, uh, or actually last week, I had a question that answered itself in my head, uh, which brought dread to my heart. Uh, We were were in the process of getting sorted in the flat, uh, going around Ikea, getting things, thinking carefully about things, buying them, getting home after purchasing a large number of things from Ikea. I'm going through and I notice the bedding isn't there. I thought... We stood and looked at this bedding for a long time to make a decision about which would be the right bedding. People know what I mean. It matters. I didn't realize that I'd care, but I do care. I care a lot now. Uh, and as I'm looking through, I'm asking myself, well, if it's, if it's not here, what's happened to it, right? And so I look through the receipt. It's not on the receipt. And so at first I think, well, have we accidentally stolen this thing and it's in the car? Have I made that type of mistake? Uh, but then I stood there and, I, and uh, the question that came through my mind was, well, could we have bought it if it's not on the receipt and not in my flat? Right, we don't need an answer to that question. I just walked downstairs, got in the car, drove back to Ikea to sprint through the whole place and attempt to find the bedding again. Here's a question that answers itself. Verses 6 to 7, look down at them with me. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? People are outraged by what he said to the paralytic uh, because of its implications. Often when we see the teachers of the law get the point but draw the wrong conclusions. Only God can can forgive sins. And so their conclusion is that he must be blaspheming, that he is undermining and degrading God by doing this himself. But what if the conclusion is more obvious, is something more profound about Jesus himself? Verse 8, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus challenges them. He challenges the men who have brought their friend, and importantly, he challenges us. Our expectation of what this man needs, and the teachers of the law expectation of who Jesus is. He intentionally upends these things of what is important by comparing the situation of the man. That he hasn't just healed the man because first he wants them to know something. 
that what appears easier may in fact not be, that what may appear more significant may in fact not be, and that this man's greatest need has been dealt with before his paralysis is even addressed. So that addresses the guys who are disappointed lowering him down and to the, and to the teachers of the law that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Now Jesus is taking another title here that they know from the Old Testament and he's applying it to himself. He's taking it on as his own title. Now the Son of Man is best known as a figure from Daniel chapter 7. Daniel is one of those books that has a big influence on the time of Jesus. It's a book that they are reading a lot. It's really well read because of the expectations that it brings. In Daniel 7, we see a king called the Son of Man who overthrows great empires and saves his people to establish an eternal kingdom. Now, by taking on this title, Jesus is saying not only that he is the Son of Man, but that the Son of Man has an authority otherwise unknown in Daniel 7 to forgive sins. That this expected king would overthrow the great powers of the world, but he would do it himself by that authority. In fact, it would be the means by which he would achieve such things. And the teachers of the law have already explained to us in this question, therefore must be God himself. Jesus claims before those present to be this guy, to be the promised king who also has authority to forgive sins, that he has authority to forgive sin and also to undo the effects of sin in this world. And this undermines one of the great expectations of the time that we'll see explained more as the future chapters go on. That just as the men are expecting a physical healing, the people are expecting a physical kingdom to come now. That a king would defeat the Romans, the guys who were occupying them at the time, and establish his kingdom in Jerusalem right then. But what Jesus is saying is that's not what you need. In fact, I am not that type of king. The physical expectations and hopes you have, well, they're misplaced. What you need is the forgiveness of your sins. He has forgiven the man, taking care of his actual greatest need, and then he follows this with a visible act to show just how much power he has. Uh, there's a lot being said here, right, in just a few verses that we're unpacking, but it's all right, this is recorded. You can listen to it again. Let's look down at the second half of verse 10 together. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. He heals the man, in a sense to confirm everything that he has just said, to do something also thought impossible, to show that everything he has said is possible. Jesus not only has authority over spirits, as we saw in chapter 1, and over sickness and disease, but also over the physical state of a body, and most importantly, over sin, to forgive it and to undo its effects in the world. What is your greatest need? 
because it isn't your sickness that stands between you and God. It isn't your lifestyle or lack of. It isn't the food in your belly or the relationship that you long for or the improved relationship that you might desire. Fixing these things, they're in God's power, but they satisfy a physical need. Will they deal with our, with our greatest need? The paralyzed man was not separated from God because he could not walk. No, we are separated from our God because each of us here, one way or another, has chosen to reject him and instead to pursue the desires of our hearts, hearts which have been corrupted by our sin. That's why our initial response when reading this is to feel the anticlimax instead of seeing it as the climax because our default tendency is to worry about physical needs because our sin leads us to turn away from a mind aligned with the will of God. Through God's word, through prayer, and by the spirit, we must be seeking to have this shift for our worldviews to be changed, to be aligned with the mind of God so that we can see this great need and rejoice that it has been fulfilled for us. You see, this is why one of the most challenging elements of Jesus' identity is his claim of kingship, his claim to be the son of man, because we don't want to put him there if he won't just give us our physical expectations that we desire. And so we want to put other things in that place and to hope that they will provide for that need. Many of us, in fact, will want to wear the crown for ourselves, right? To be those who decide what is right and what is wrong for us in our own lives. But the problem is that our rejection of God cannot be dealt with by any of these things because we do not have the authority to wipe the slate clean. But in your day-to-day -day life, do we really even live like we care? Because Jesus does have the authority to put aside the ways that we have wronged him, the ways that we've told our God, no, I know what is right for me. You see, often the ways that we do that aren't obvious to us. Because if we live our lives by our own standard of good, then we will always think that we are good people. We'll be like, play, we like playing by our own rules, right? We're like children losing a game. We like setting our own standards. But if Jesus claims to have authority over sin, then it is not our standards that need to be met, but his. A standard that is simply unachievable because it requires perfection. And so actually, we no longer need to meet that standard. What we need is to be forgiven for not reaching it. And suddenly we see that no matter health, how healthy we might be, no matter how content in our lives we might be, or how well we might provide for our families, we aren't able to achieve the only need that really matters for us or for them, the forgiveness of their sin. We will see as the gospel continues what this means for us now and continue to see what the true response to such truth is. But we must first look inwards and continue to ask ourselves, what is our greatest need? Do we think the paralyzed man needs to walk or to be brought into relationship with his king? And will we look to the one who has authority 
over that need. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much that you know what our greatest need is even when we are blind to it. We thank you that you have sent Jesus to die for us even in our time that we ignore such a need. I pray, Father, that by your spirit you'd help each of us to know you more. You'd help each of us to align our will with your will, to see what is most important. We thank you so much, Lord, for your mercy in this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.